This is the state we're in from WBEZ. I'm Jonathan Gruber. Just one amazing story for you today. And we've called it Muhammad Ali and me. You all know me, Muhammad Ali, the greatest fighter of all times. I have a young man named Michelle, who I predict will be the greatest singer of all times. I met him a few years ago. I've been doing all I can to promote him. I want you to hear him tonight, and he will sing to you, and he will talk about love through his song, and I'm sure you will enjoy it. Mr. Michelle. Well, they tell me if I try that I can make it to heaven, yeah. I tell them it's inside me and that I'm already there. It fascinated Ali that my name was just Michelle. No first name, no last name, just Michelle. He used to say that quite often. Michelle, no first name, no last name, is a tall, thin, middle-aged French-Canadian man who lives in London and does charity work. But back in the 70s, he was a singer-songwriter who spent years busking on the streets of England and Canada searching for his big break. I was writing songs for people in the street, you know, writing songs about the lady in the yellow hat and things like that, you know, (laughs) trying to communicate. Um, He even wrote a song about um, the beer strike in Vancouver called Mama, We Ain't Got No Beer. A guy came along and sponsored it, made a recording out of it, and it got to number 11 in the local chart. Back in 73, Michelle eventually got a recording contract. He recorded at Abbey Road Studios, even met Paul McCartney. He released a single, and it bombed. This led to more desperate measures. It occurred to me, why not get the most famous man on earth to listen to my music? And if he likes it, he puts in a good word for me, then, you know, I can say, hey, Muhammad Ali sent me, you know, and... um I thought it would be a fun thing to do. So I was doing a TV show on local television in uh, Vancouver, and I sent him a tape of that, and I did some other recordings, and I sent him some tapes of that. I got to a point where I was calling his office every week, and they recognized my voice when I'd call and say, you know, hi, how you doing? They'd say, oh, hi, Michelle, how you doing? i say, well, you know, I just want to know if Muhammad got my package. Oh, yes, he got it. Yes, you know, he got it. Okay, no message, no message. So I went to San Francisco and I called Ali's office from there and I said, listen, I'm on my way to Chicago to see Muhammad. Can you let him know that I'm on my way? I thought at least if he knows someone's coming, you know, I'd stand half a chance. And they said, oh, he's not here. He's in Natchez, Mississippi doing a film. But I called around Natchez to see where the best hotels were. And one of them said, oh, yeah, he, he, you know, he, he's here. I said, well, can you send him a message to the set? Tell him to please give Michelle a call. Half hour later, he was on the phone to me. Let me just ask you quickly, when you picked up the phone and realized it was really him on the other end, what's the first thing that went through your head? Well, I said, this is an answer to a prayer. Please don't hang up. And he said, I'm out of boxing. I'm out of boxing. I'm not doing boxing anymore. Because he thought I was some promoter trying to set up a fight. And I said, no, no, no. I said, I want to come and play you some music. And he said, well, I don't know about that. And I said, look, I'm in San Francisco right now, and it's going to take me three days to get to you. If I come over on a Greyhound bus for those three days and I come and see you, you know, will you listen to my songs? And he said, you starting to sound crazy to me. (laughs) And I said, well, Muhammad, that's what they said about you. But you did what you had to do. Now I've got to do what i got to do. Now if I come up there, are you going to listen to my songs or not? And then he said, yeah, all right. Then he says, if you come down, I'll listen. So I said, right, I'm on my way. And I hung up before he had a chance to change his mind. Okay. And what happened? 
Well, I got on the Greyhound bus and uh, traveled for three days. It was a um, pretty horrific three days. And 72 hours later, I uh, was in, uh, you know, within reach of where Muhammad Ali was doing his movie. And I'm sitting out front of the hotel tuning my guitar. And uh, some people came up and said, hey, what are you up to? And I said, well, you know, I'm going to play Muhammad Ali some songs. I've just come up. He said he's going to listen to my songs. And this lady starts crying. You know, why should she say, oh, that's just so beautiful. Do you want me to help you get on the set? And I said, yeah. And she had a Rolls Royce. And she said, get in. And first time I've ever ridden in a Rolls Royce. What? She, said, she had a Rolls Royce? Yeah, she had a Rolls Royce. And she said, get in. And I got in. And they drove me past all the security. And it got right up to Muhammad Ali's caravan. And it had Ali written in a little piece of cardboard about two inches by three inches. And I knocked on the door. And I'm standing there, and the place is full of people. And I see Ali sitting there, and he looks up at me, and he says, who are you? And I said, uh, well, I'm the nut who's traveled you know, halfway across the country to come and play you some music. And he looked at me, and he said, um, what you waiting for? And the next thing you know, he's banging his fist down on the caravan table so hard that he's shaking the whole caravan, saying, this is fantastic, this is great. I've never heard anything like this before. This guy is great. I'm going to help you. I'm going to make you big. This is great. I hadn't even asked him anything. I was just playing him the songs. And um, yeah, it was the start of a beautiful relationship. Child of the wilderness she was Talking to me From that moment on, Michel's dreams started to come true. He became Ali's court musician, playing for friends, family, the famous, the powerful. Ali even helped Michel record an album. I was also put in charge of an orchestra. Uh, it was the Jackson Symphony Orchestra. It was a magical moment, you know, the horns, the cellos, the oboes, the, you know, the strings of uh, violins, the whole thing all happening to little songs that I'd written, played to people in Guilford. It was quite, quite a fascinating difference to make, you know. Be honest, did anybody call you guys an odd couple? Um, you would think that he would pick someone like Michael Jackson to have as his protege, you know, some, something like that. Although, you know, Michael Jackson didn't need it. But, um, you know, white guy from Canada sort of thing. You wouldn't expect that Muhammad Ali would take me under his wing. But, but on the other hand, you know, it just shows that, you know, all of that doesn't mean anything to him. What matters to him is real people. And he saw me as a real person attempting to do something. And, um, you know... It worked very, very well. No doubt about that, that he dug what you were doing, and he, he liked having you around and having you play. My question was, what were people saying about you guys? Were they saying anything disparaging or unpleasant? No, most of the people were very encouraging about it and saying, well, you know, you're going to have a hit there. This is going to be good, you know, and um, I think they could see that Muhammad was enjoying it. This was fun for him. That was part of the whole thing, you know, that I wanted it to be fun for him. And, and um, that's how the TV special came about. <laughs> that's beautiful. After me. After you. <laughs> Can't very well do it before you because you've already good. done it. Who you? wrote that? I did. Did you write that? Yeah, well, it's a gift. You're not that's... as dumb as you look. <laughs> 
It was one of those odd moments. I've been sitting with Ali by the fire in his house and we're playing some music. Um, I'm playing a song and then he'd talk about what I was playing. So I play a song called Love and he'd tell me about the first time he fell in love or first time he got kissed or stuff like that. And we'd just be chatting away, you know, and I, like I'm fascinated. I'm sitting here, you know, next to the most famous man on earth and he's telling me what it was like when, you know, he was, you know, 10 years old sort of thing. What a fantastic thing to be doing. And I'd hear something he'd say and say, oh, hang on, I've got a song about that. And I played the song for him. He'd say, oh, that's a really good song. I like that. You know, that reminds me of this. And then he would tell another little story about, you know, first time he fell in love, the first time he was kissed, um, or, you know, some deep philosophical thought about, you know, the future of the world and, you know, how it depends on the children and, and that kind of stuff, you know. And um, I do write some philosophical songs, that, and it seemed like we were complimenting each other really well. Nobody else there. It was just him and me. I never came, you know, all of a sudden some hot chocolate would arrive from somewhere and then it would disappear. And um, it got towards the end of the evening and, you know, time to go to bed sort of thing. And I said, you know, Mohammed, this would have made a really good TV show if, if we could have had a camera going on this occasion. That would have been a really fantastic TV show. And he said, oh, no, he said, nobody wants to hear these things about, you know, from me. He says, they, they want to know what it feels like to beat Joe Fraser. You know, they want to know boxing things. I'm a boxer. And I said, no, I said, you'd be surprised. I said, people would love this. And he said, you really think so? And I said, yeah, I said, as well. I said, the music went really well. You know, if we could put some songs together and in between we could have a little talk about the things in the songs, I think it would be a fantastic show. And he said, well, he said, can you set it up? And I kind of held my breath. I've never done anything like this in my entire life, right? I said, yeah, sure, I can set it up. And he said, okay. He says, so you set it up and I'll do it. Michelle spent the next three months of 1978 putting the special together. The show itself features Michelle leading a great band before an adoring public. They'd play a song and then cut to Michelle and Ali sitting by a blazing fireplace. Ali tells a story and spouts homespun wisdom. We are tested, we are examined, and we are tried. And me, before I won my title, I had to be tested. I was tested with the draft. I was asked to do something against my religion. I was tested. It looked clouded, but when the clouds go, the sun comes. Michelle had to be tested before he got to this When show. Ali finishes, he, he turns to Michelle and, and asks him to play a song that underscores his point. At one point, there's this girl crying, and you have these cameras on you, and the audience is totally digging it. And you're going to be on TV with Muhammad Ali's backing, and you have this beautiful, bright future right within your grasp. And so my question to you is, right at that very moment when you're standing there on that stage, playing the song with this music, recording this special, did you think, I'm going to be a star? Yeah, I, th I thought, you know, this is what I've been aiming for. And you get the feeling of what it's like to be a star when a whole orchestra shows up to do your recording. Or Plus, I'm traveling around with Muhammad Ali, and there's cameras everywhere, and he's got me under his arm saying, come on, come on, through this way, you know. He'd make my way through the crowd, and, uh, you know, we'd jump into a limousine, and off we'd go. So I was getting a flavor of what this whole stardom thing was about, and, you know, it, it was a lot of fun.
things looked great. Michelle had a record about to drop, a TV special ready to go, and the backing of one of the most famous people in the world. So, what went wrong? The plan was to release the album in Britain. And when the album became a hit in Britain, then to take it over to the States. And to release the album, have the TV show air, and that was going to be the promotion for the whole thing. And in order to do that, uh, a lot of money was spent getting publicity together for the project. And posters in every tube station in London, all the underground stations had at least one poster. I don't, I don't know if you've seen the poster, but um, or one of the articles with Ollie holding my hand up in the air. And there was a radio station that was running an ad every 90 minutes. They were running a, a part of Child of the Wilderness and Muhammad Ali actually speaking on the advert saying, uh, you know, I'm, I'm holding an album called Michelle, you know, and I think this is a great album. You'd be looking out for this kind of thing. Meanwhile, I'm in California attempting to get a band together that's going to come and promote this thing when it's a hit so we can do some concerts and whatever. And I thought, you know, I'll, I'll do, you know, this stuff in California. And the manager that I'd selected to do the job did not tell the record company that the publicity was happening. So while the publicity was happening, there were no records in the shops. Like I, I can see it being a flop, but it's got to sell some records to establish that it's a flop. There's got to be some people bought this thing to say it wasn't any good. You know, how come no records were sold at all? There's not a single sale on the chart. And they said, well, they're not out yet. And we said, well, what do you mean they're not out yet? We spent thousands of pounds putting advertising all over London and on radio stations and everything. And you're telling us they're not out. Said, Nobody told us that it was out. We were waiting for the okay from you to put it in the shop. We don't want it in the shop without the publicity. Meanwhile, this is several months later now, and it's far too late to try and reinflate the souffle. You're saying that there was a publicity machine that was going, and people maybe would have had an interest in hearing this record, but there just weren't any records in the store. That's it. That's right. That's exactly right. There were no records in the store to buy. So if you had an impulse when you saw on a tube station a big poster that Muhammad Ali saying that this was, you know, really great music, um, if you had an impulse to go in the next record shop to buy it, you could not buy it. For love or money, there was nowhere was it available. Not, not a copy. The worst was yet to come. Michelle went over to England to try to salvage the situation. He took his album's master tapes and the only copy of the TV special with him. He moved into his friend's squat in London and then went away for the weekend. I get back and they'd torn the house down. What? Yeah, yeah, they tore the house down. They had put a wrecking ball to the house and it was one big pile of rubble. So you've got, you know, one very anxious me digging through the rubble trying to find these tapes and some big, big burly... Are you serious? Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. Big burly uh, security guard saying, you're going to have to get out of here. It's health and safety. You're not allowed on this property, you know. And so hang on. I was living here two days ago. You know, I was I was in this. I got a room in here. I've got stuff in here. Lucky for me, I had my guitar with me or that would have gone under as well. I'm digging through it and I can't find the tapes. And it's like literally 20 foot of rubble within view of Abbey Road Studios, you know, and it's like... At that point in time, I'm thinking, well, you know, this definitely is over. You know, this isn't happening. You know, one, I've got a, a silly manager that doesn't tell people that the record's out when it's out and nobody can buy it. And now, you know, the final remnants of it have been crushed underneath all this brick. And what am I supposed to do now? 
And I, as I'm digging through it, you know, my hope was maybe to find something that could be salvaged, but I never actually got that far. I got thrown off the property. Did you, and, and almost in the movie, in my mind, I sort of see you standing there, turning around, looking at this big rubble of dust, thinking, thinking what? What were you thinking? Well, you know, like it's the worst day in the world because, uh, you know, when it was still there, when I still had it in my hand, despite the fact that, you know, no one had warmed to it because they didn't get a chance, it was always in my mind, like, it wasn't like, let's say the record had been out and it had been in the shops and it had flopped. That would be one thing. But, you know, I thought, hang on, no one had a chance to hear this. So it hasn't really flopped. It just hasn't been out there yet. And then, you know, all of a sudden it's under a bunch of rubble. Are these the master tapes to your music as well as the TV special? Yeah, the whole lot, the whole lot's, um, you know, un, un, under the, under the rubble. It's all gone. And, uh, they do, they did this kind of thing in the seventies and eight, early eighties. It tear places down, you know, no one knew that it was going to happen. Apparently it was pending. And they thought that it had been pending for such a long time. They'd been putting off doing it for such a long time. They thought they decided not to do it and not to tear the house down. So that's why no one told me about it. Well, at least you still had, you know, Muhammad Ali's friendship to back you up on this stuff, right? Well, I got to a point where I felt like, you know, I didn't lose the friendship, but I felt like I didn't want to become one of these hangers on that kept asking him for stuff. And I realized if I go back to Muhammad Ali now and present him with this real mess, it's going to be a mess that I need him to solve. And I don't really want to do that. He's done everything and I don't want him to feel like he hasn't done enough. So I wrote him a letter explaining the situation and apologizing for the mismanagement and taking the blame for the fact that I'd gotten the wrong manager to deal with it all. And um, that was the last contact that I had with him. Did he write back to you? No, he didn't. No. No, he didn't. So you you never no. heard from Ali again after that? No. It's been 35 years then since you've had your last contact with Ali. Um Oh, he'll remember do, me. Do, I'm sure he will, but <laughs> do, did you ever wonder why he never tried to contact you after all that? No, I just figure that, you know, he did what he could for me. And I saw people being pulled aside by Ali and told, listen, you've been here long enough now. You need to go. People, he was putting people up in his house. And, you know, when he was traveling, he had people traveling with him that he didn't really need to have there, but they were just there for the, for the journey sort of thing. And he occasionally would pull one aside and say, listen, you know, time for you to go now. And he'd put a couple hundred dollars in their pocket and, um, show them the door. And, you know, I thought to myself, I'm not going to be one of those. I got to tell you, Michelle, I got to tell you, no, I understand that Ali was a very generous man and he understood this and he had helped you a lot. But in the beginning of all this, you were relentless. You were sending him and sending things and never giving up and you borrowed money and you went to San Francisco and you rode on a bus for three days and you used up every last penny that you had to to make contact with him. And then all of this happened and you then in the end only wrote him just one letter explaining what went on and it seems a little out of character can can i ask you were you ashamed was that what was going on oh yeah yeah i think that's a good um good synopsis of it i think that i i you know in presenting myself to him i presented myself as a very capable person who would take the help that he gave me and make something good out of it um but i mean what were you thinking were you thinking 
he'd done so much for me. I screwed this up. I don't know how to tell him, you know? I mean, like, I'm trying to figure out where your head was at that moment. Well, I'd let him down, you know? The thing is, I I had let him down by making the wrong call, and it was my fault, you know? Um, I'm the one who decided to let this person take it over. And, uh, you know, as far as the building coming down around me and, you know, well, you know, on top of the tapes, um, that just seemed to be like the seal on the whole thing. It was like, you know, well, this is over now. You've had this. This is a good chance you took. Uh, you know, a lot of happy memories. But as far as this being a hit, you, know, you haven't got a real chance here because, you know, it doesn't exist anymore. Only it did exist. This is called Lovely Bubbles. A friend of his found a copy of the album, The First Flight of the Gazelle to Dragon, online. And there was more. Lovely bubbles and things that sparkle and orange peaches and Lengthy speeches and I don't think I can remember anymore. And there's a picture of Muhammad Ali sitting by the fire. And I can see the back of my head. And I've got guitar. And I'm thinking, what is this? And he's saying, children of the future of the world. And they're exiles from heaven. And I'm thinking where does this come from? And it was like that feeling you get when you're going down the stairs and, you know, you, you think there's an extra step and you slip underneath the description of the video because it was on YouTube. It said, I'm a lead guitarist of the bands that played with Michelle. There were backup tapes made of the TV show and the album, and I've got them. There's a date on it. It's been up for three years. He's been trying to get hold of me, this guy. Uh, his name's Tim Telfair, and, you know, uh, applause to him because he hung on to these things for over 30 years. And he understood that they were important. Uh, he knew they were important to me. This is one of the people that was in the band that was getting ready to come over here to England to promote the record after the TV show was meant to have done its job. And um, I didn't know they did backups of these things, including the album, when you found this thing and you turned on the TV set and there it all was in glorious living color, back from the dead, I think my question to you is, how did you feel? Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing and bewildered at the same time because there was something that I honestly believed was lost. And the fact that it's there it gives it a chance to be seen at some point. It's one of those things that it's got a chance to have a voice. And so I say, you know, it was something to let Ali have a chance to say some stuff that he'd never said before. And I felt very sad that I hadn't had the chance to say thank you to him in that way. Because it's difficult to give a man something who's got everything, you know? Imagine that he was here in this room right now. What would you say to him? Just, you know, thank you for the inspiration. Thank you for making my dream come true. Thank you for having listened to me when, you know, no one else would listen and having faith in me when no one else had that much faith in me. And I'm sure he'd smile and put his hand in the air and, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things that I'd love to be able to do. Michel lives in London, England, where he works with a charity called The Kindness Offensive. You can get more information about Michel and even see a five-minute excerpt of his TV special with Muhammad Ali at our website, TSWI.biz. And Michel really wants me to tell you that you can get his music on iTunes and Amazon. This edition of The State We're In was produced by myself with the help from the amazing Mignon van Vieren. Special thanks to Alison Shally and Joe the Greatest Dassault at WBEZ Chicago. 
Tell us what you think of our program at our website, TSWI.biz or tizwi.biz, or friend us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash TSWI.org, or why not visit iTunes and review the program? That would be so awesome. I'm Jonathan Gruber, and I'll see you in two weeks for the next The State We're In from Chicago Public Media. Man, that's out of sight. You're going to be the greatest of all times. I'm going to see you there.